Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we mentioned earlier in the introduction to the service, if you've paid attention to the news at all, I'm sure you've heard that in recent weeks, I don't keep a super careful track of these things, but I've seen the headlines, that the Mega Millions and the Powerball lotteries have each taken turns up over a billion dollars, which has attracted quite a lot of attention and quite a lot of money uh, flowing out of people's pockets and wallets. Imagine that either you yourself or, or you have heard people uh, daydream and fantasize about how they would spend those mega millions if their winning numbers would chance to come up, even though we also know that it is virtually statistically impossible that that would happen for us as only one out of a 300 million tickets uh, actually has, is the, the winning number. In the past, I've even heard uh, members of our own church comment about things that they would like to do for the church if they won the lottery. And people have mentioned, multiple people have mentioned, they would love to buy back the school building and reopen the school. Or they would like to invest a lot of money so that our church could continue to operate for, for years in the future without having to worry about the budget. No doubt, many prayers of individuals have been offered uh, with, with kind of a, a give and take uh, made to God, a little, a little bartering with God, saying, God, if you would just let me win that jackpot, well, then I will do such and such for you or, or for the church or for other people. Now, not to be too cynical, but realistically, in many cases, that kind of wishful thinking, that kind of bartering with God, is often, at least subconsciously, simply an attempt to try to sanctify or justify our greed, our desire for those mega millions. Because we at least subconsciously think, well, if we pay God back something for his generosity, then we will feel justified in spending the rest of that large amount on whatever we want for ourselves. And doesn't that kind of lottery mentality affect each of us in so many other areas of our lives, giving us, for example, excuses for our failures to respond properly to God as his faithful people. We sometimes think like this, God, if only you would bless me with enough wealth or enough time, well, God, then I could really be a good steward, a good servant for you. God, if you would just take away this suffering from me, then I would fully trust in you because I would have proof of your love for me. In our sermon text for today from 1 Kings chapter 3, we see that God appears to young King Solomon in a dream and offers him the kind of choice that would rapidly increase the heart rate of any red-blooded human being. God told Solomon to ask for whatever you want me to give you. Whatever you want me to give you, the sky is the limit. No strings attached. Just name it and claim it, and it's yours. Now, Solomon could have asked for uh, ancient Israel's equivalent of the, the largest jackpot ever, and then promised to use the proceeds to do something great for God, to build God a great temple in Jerusalem, uh, just as his father David had planned to do. Or he could have asked, for a long, healthy life to enjoy his 
power and, and prosperity as king, promising all the while to spread the glory of the Lord throughout the world. But instead of asking for those things, Solomon made one simple request. One thing that might sound rather dull to our ears when we think about all the options if we were given that genie-like wish to be granted. Solomon asked for a wise and discerning heart so that he could rule the people of Israel justly. And God granted his request. How would we respond if we had been given that same offer by God? Think about that and think about how you would respond, and that says a lot about how we arrange our priorities in life, the things that we place high value on. People's dreams generally have to do with the two choices that were passed over by Solomon, health and wealth, success. The world that we live in, the unbelieving world, tempts us to believe that with these two commodities, health and wealth, chances are pretty good that we can indeed have it all in life. Solomon, it it turns out, was a man who really did end up having it all from a worldly perspective at least. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon reflects on his accomplishments and on, on all his possessions towards the end of his life. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he writes, I piled up silver and gold for myself, as well as treasures from kings and provinces. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not withhold from them. I did not hold my heart back from any pleasure. But when I turned my attention to everything that my hands had done and to how hard I had worked for it, note this, it was all vapor, a chasing, all chasing the wind. There was no benefit under the sun. Now, most of us can only dream about a life of unlimited wealth, virtually unlimited wealth, as Solomon enjoyed, but Solomon lived it. He knew very well because he had experienced many of them about the addictions that are so often associated with having great wealth. He knew how the accumulation of things, of of possessions and money can so easily become the primary and ultimate focus of a person's heart and life and ultimately lead to causing the loss of life's true joys and meaning, the loss of relationships with family and friends, and even with God himself. Solomon's advice in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is very similar to what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in verses just before uh, the verses that we read in our second reading today in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes to Timothy, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge them into complete destruction and utter ruin. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. By striving for money, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. So the futility of making earthly things number one in our hearts and lives was perhaps summarized best by Jesus when he compared riches to a master that controls us and demands exclusive allegiance and service. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, a word for money and possessions. Well, the answer, of course, to this conundrum is not to throw money, success, or health consciousness out the window, but to regard those things as secondary, at least, or or even lower, behind the one all-consuming passion of life. As Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seeking God's kingdom first is a matter of trust, of recognizing and believing that God has provided and will continue to provide what he has promised, what we need for our bodies and lives. Seeking God's kingdom first is what Solomon did when he chose wisdom as the gift from God, when God offered him whatever he asked for. Solomon was already a wise man to make that wise choice, but he became, by God's grace and gift, even wiser. We speak about the proverbial wisdom of Solomon that's needed when referring to a task that requires careful or difficult judgment and discernment. But what truly made Solomon wise was not his intelligence, so to speak, not his financial savvy or or even his ability to rule people justly. True wisdom, although it may include practical knowledge for this life of facts and data and information and and just life skills in general, true wisdom in in the spiritual sense always has as its basis a trust relationship with God, a reliance on God and on God's word. Solomon was aware of this deeper meaning of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 9, he wrote, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And if you remember from your small catechism, Martin Luther reminds us that fear of God, awe and respect for him as the holy, omnipotent God Fear of God goes hand in hand with loving and trusting God. More than anything else, God wants us to be wise in this respect, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, loving him above everyone and everything else, trusting him alone instead of trusting in money and possessions and our bank accounts and insurance policies. Asking for wisdom when the world, the devil, and our self-centered sinful natures present other options before us. These are the truly wise choices. We can expect that this wisdom of which the Bible and, and God wants us to pursue will run counter to much that this world and the, the unbelieving society considers to be wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that God's wisdom looks like foolishness to the unbelieving world. Many people today would consider Solomon's choice of wisdom to be utter foolishness when he could have asked for great riches or long life or everlasting life. They regard it as a foolish waste of time and money, for example, to to get involved with church, to attend Bible study, to, to have devotions at home or to uh, participate in service to God and and to others ahead of your own personal desires. That's because so many people have rejected as foolishness 
the preaching of Christ crucified. It's seen as, as an insult to civilized learning to claim that God took on human flesh and the person of Jesus of Nazareth and that Jesus' death on the cross could atone for the sins of all people. The gospel claimed that forgiveness is freely offered to all people no matter what sins they have committed. That idea of free grace is an assault on the work ethic of intelligent, responsible people. Be that as it may, Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the victorious king who has conquered Satan's rule and his control over us. His righteousness has been exchanged for our sin. His death has given us eternal life. True wisdom is to believe that and to trust it as the most important treasure in our lives. Solomon had true wisdom before he even asked for it. The first words that he spoke in response to God's offer were words of gratitude for God's great blessings to him and to his ancestors, his father David in the past. He acknowledged that God had shown great kindness both to his father David and now to himself. That word in Hebrew for kindness includes God's covenant promises and his blessing. David and Solomon were both chosen by God to lead God's people and also to be vital links in the line of ancestry of the world's Savior, Jesus. True wisdom begins when we remember what God has done for us. Through his word, God himself jogs our memories to remind us of those great and loving things that, we, that he has done for us. We have experienced God's loving kindness just as Solomon has. Through faith, we have witnessed that within God's great plan of salvation, we have been chosen. Jesus died with us in mind, with each one of us. He died thinking about each one of us by name, desiring for us to be with him in the eternal life of heaven. We've become vital links also, just as King Solomon was, in bringing this message of salvation into the hearts and lives of other people with, with whom God has placed us into relationship and, and contact with in our lives. With Solomon, make wise choices by letting God speak to you through his word, through the Bible, so that you can remember his great kindness and love to you through Jesus and so that you can share that message with others. There's a kind of irony to this heavenly wisdom. Only when we have this wisdom are we aware of how much we still lack wisdom. Solomon himself recognized how deficient he was in the ability to carry out his duties as king, even as wise as he already was. And so he expressed that in a, a very humble statement saying, I am a little child, even though by that time he was already a grown man. Wisdom was required for him to make that humble admission. It was the second step in Solomon's wise choice. As we face life each day, there ought to be no question for us either that we also are insufficient for the tasks that face us every day. Not only do we face troubles and trials that so often overwhelm us, 
but we're also confronted with daily temptation. Who can resist? God's demands are clear. Be perfect, Jesus says. Our thoughts, words, and actions are also clear. We aren't perfect. We haven't been perfect and far from it. That's wise for us to admit that we are not perfect, to confess and repent of our sins, to the only one who can do something about those sins. And finally, Solomon asked for what he desired most. He knew that God alone could give wisdom. And he would later write in the book of Proverbs, the Lord gives wisdom. Knowledge and understanding come from his mouth. Wisdom is not something that, uh, that we can earn or that we can speculate about. It doesn't come as a result of our decision. It is a gift that only God can give. God always grants our spiritual requests, our requests for the things that he promises and that he invites and instructs us to ask him for. And so when we come to him in faith, remembering what he has already done for us, Admitting that because of our sins, we are spiritual failures and we can do nothing about our own sinfulness. And asking him to forgive us, restore us, and make us wise for salvation. God is always quick to respond to those cries for help in faith. The Apostle James puts it this way in James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all without reservation and without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Period. It will be given to you. No questions asked. Solomon got wisdom because he asked. And God then also gave him wealth because he didn't ask. And long life was also promised to him on condition that he obey God's commands. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek grace, not gold. Seek wisdom, not wealth. And then in sufficient quantity, all of these other things will be given to you as well, as Jesus promises. Now as we review the life of Solomon, maybe you know some things about his life. You know that he unfortunately, tragically, was not always wise. Nor was Job always patient, or Samson always strong, or Abraham always believing. For example, later in Solomon's life, uh, his wealth and his many wives tore him away from his faithfulness to the Lord, and, and the wise choice that he had originally made in asking God for wisdom in that dream the beginning of his rule as king. Later in his life, the essence of wisdom uh, eluded him, namely the ability to admit his spiritual poverty and weakness and need for forgiveness, to look away from himself and to place his only hope for salvation in his perfect descendant, the promised Savior of the world, Jesus. Many choices for happiness also lie in front of each one of us, but only one is capable of giving us all things as God promises. May the Lord always enable us to make this wise choice of trusting Jesus as our Savior and following his word alone. 
Amen.